We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today, joining us is Dr. Ramla Gerard, who's Managing Director at Mass Analytics. Let's jump in and get to know Dr. Ramla. Hello. How are you? Welcome. Hello. I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Hello, Carol. How are you? Good to see you. Good to be connected and uh, looking forward to this combo. Me too. Absolutely. So, Dr. Ramla, tell us what's happening at work these days at uh, Mass Analytics. Okay. Uh, so, Mass Analytics is a vendor of software solutions. So, we specialize in marketing measurement, and then we have created a software that is called Master that enables companies of all sizes to be capable of measuring their marketing and media activities and be able to leverage their data in order to better guide their decision making. Exciting. I want to come back to work in, in your career path in a little bit. You, you've got some tremendous experience at some great companies and love to talk about that. But can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from and your culture? Okay, absolutely. Great. So my name is Ramla, as you mentioned, and uh, I am originally from Tunisia. So for those who do not know Tunisia, it's part of uh, North Africa. Uh, so we are an Arab and uh, mostly Muslim country. And that's where I had my secondary and my um, university education. And then post that, I had a scholarship from the Tunisian government uh, to go and study in Canada. And that's where I had my master's and my PhD from HEC Montreal, Canada. And then after that, I went to London, where I had uh, probably the, the biggest part of my career in measurement and marketing mix modeling. It, was, it happened in London. And then after that, I decided to create Mass Analytics as a tech provider uh, and as a software provider for companies to enable them to do marketing measurement on their own. So it all started in a way from Tunisia. And I'm very, very, very grateful of, of the country that gave me a lot of push and a lot of uh, enthusiasm in order to be capable of pursuing the career that I, that I had today. That's, that's wonderful. Tunisia, Montreal, London. Tell yes. us a little bit about how that's impacted you, where you grew up, where you studied, and where you've worked and, and lived? I think um, every single piece of my life has impacted the way I am today. So as I mentioned, it all started in Tunisia. And I think I have to say that I was quite privileged in the sense that um, I was born in a family where uh, my parents, in a way, always believed in education. I remember the most uh, uh, famous phrase or the most famous sentence that my father always mentioned. You know, Ramla, your arm or your weapon in this world is, is going to be your education. So you really have to pursue your education to the maximum in order for you to succeed in life. My father is a pediatrician, so I was brought up in quite wealthy family, if I may say so. But I think uh, the, the, what my father has put in me is, is the love of education and the love of pursuing excellence. And that's why I, I really made sure that throughout my life I excel in my studies, because for me, that was the only left to having a successful career. And then when I finished my university in, in, in Tunisia, uh, there is kind of this competition where if you really score very high and are like amongst the best three in the country, then the Tunisian government gives you that scholarship where you can study abroad uh, in order to pursue your education. And because I graduated in marketing, for me, it was very important to learn marketing where marketing is born. And I had two choices, either go to Europe or go to America. I chose to go to America as precisely to Canada. And that's where I, I decided to uh, finish my master's. And I loved so much what I was doing. 
that I decided also to enroll in PhD studies. And I also wanted to um, always be uh, have a competitive advantage, if I may say so. So what I decided to do is actually to specialize in quantitative marketing, which is which was quite hard because actually it involves a lot of maths, a lot of econometrics, a lot of statistics. And I really wanted to pursue that because for me, marketing is something that needs to be analytical. And I have been fortunate enough as well to have met my professor and mentor, George Zakur, who uh, initiated me in a way to the, to the world of uh, marketing analytics. And with him, I did my, my, my PhD. And then after that, it, the journey of marketing analytics and quantitative studies ha- have started uh, uh, for me. Excellent. You mentioned mentor. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. How did you get started in your career path? What was that entry point and how did that begin? So I think that um, I would be mentioning here another mentor because as soon as I finished my studies, I was in a quite renowned journal, A series, uh, categorized A in, in the categorization of publication, which was management science at the time, which opened the doors for me to, to, uh, to, to go to university. So I started my career as a senior lecturer in one of the universities in London. And obviously, being a PhD graduate, that is much easier than going into the industry. And then when I started uh, teaching students, and I was uh, mainly looking after master's students and MBA students, I soon realized I had 27 years at the time because I finished my studies quite early. That was like one of the challenges that I wanted to, to put in my life. I don't know why I wanted to be like a very young PhD graduate. But just to cut the story short, uh, I was 27 years old in front of my MBA and my master's students teaching all sorts of marketing and quantitative studies. But I felt that there was something missing in my career or in the way I would be teaching. I had no examples. I had no relationship to reality because I really never worked in the industry in order to be capable of giving sound examples to my students. And that's why I said, you know what, Ramla, if you really want to excel in teaching, you really have to have some concrete uh, kind of uh, career and some concrete examples. And that's where I decided to switch my career and to look for a job in the industry. It was really, really hard. Because I mentioned, as I mentioned, I was 27 years old, which means that my uh, my fellow, the other people that that had the same age as me, as me, had at least around five years of experience. So for me, coming 27 years old, willing to go into the industry of marketing analytics, and I did not really have quite a, a good experience in, in except from academia, and it was really hard to the point that I even wanted to accept. I was willing to accept the salary sacrifice to make that move from the, the university to the professional world. And that's, I think, where my second mentor came into, into play, which is my ex-boss, my ex-CEO, uh, who is the founder of one of the most known marketing mix modeling agencies around the globe at the time called OHAL. He used to be the CEO of OHAL for 30 years. So I think Paul Baker took a punt, a punt in me because he accepted to hire me as a project manager despite the lack of experience I had because I think he believed in my potential. He believed what I can bring to the business in the long term. And then he, he offered me a job at OHAL. And I think that was really the, the trigger of my career in the, in the professional world. Shout out to Paul Baker for, from, from where I am today. Awesome. Awesome. And, and I think you touched on something really important there in your career journey is, is that you followed your heart and your passion, right? And even though you may have had to take a cut in salary or take a couple steps back, you took those steps back so you can then move forward again. And, and I think that's a really important lesson. Indeed, I think it's very, very important to do what you like in life. 
because you would be spending most of your time doing this. So, so if you don't really love and like, and you're not passionate about what you're doing, I don't think that you will ever be in the right place. So for example, another example that I can give you here, that when I was pursuing my studies in Tunisia, uh, so we had a choice at the time between two main fields, you either specialize in finance or you specialize in marketing. And because I had very good grades in math and statistics, all my professors wanted me to go to finance. But I did not really feel at the time that that was me. I did not really see that that was the career that I wanted to do and, and pursue. And despite all the odds, I decided not to do that and decided to go to marketing because I liked uh, people interaction. I liked exposing my idea, explaining things, convincing people. But at the same time, I said, you know what, Ramla, you'll be leveraging your statistical edge and you're going to specialize in something that is called marketing analytics because that how, that's how you can shine and that's how you can prove yourself useful to the industry. And that's how I found myself in marketing analytics and modeling and data science and so forth. Yeah, and I, and I think it's pretty interesting what you're doing there because, right, you talked about marketing and, and so much of, of marketing is about the creative aspect of it, but the other side of it is the data, is the analytics piece, and it seems like you're right at that intersection of trying to marry the two together. Indeed, indeed. I, I do believe that today, with the avalanche of data that we can get, with all the measurement tools that are made available to us, we cannot ignore the power of data. Yes, creativity is great. It's very, very important in any, in any field of marketing. But even that creativity, you can, in a way, analyze it. You can understand what are the features of that creativity that make it work, that make it successful. In a way, that analysis is very beneficial even to the people who work in creative world because you really give them like the essence of why a specific piece of creative is working and why another one is not working that well. So I really think that creativity and data analytics go hand in hand because if you understand both words, you come to a, a very good equilibrium whereby you can make the business successful through smart creativity, if I may say so. Oh yeah, absolutely. What excites you about the future of your industry and, and what you're doing and how you're helping your customers today? So I think that, uh, so let me a little bit, if you, if you may, uh, like tell you the story of mass analytics. So in the beginning, from the position I had in, in my previous employer, I kind of agreed with them, or I had the promise to start a partnership with them to represent the brand uh, in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, being myself from the region, uh, the cultural proximity, the language, et cetera, et cetera, set me as a good candidate to do that. Unfortunately, uh, that partnership did not materialize and I found myself in a situation where I had to find a plan. So I had to develop my own tools and my own marketing mix modeling tools as it happens. And my husband happens also to be a software engineer. So what he suggested is that he can start working with me or start putting together for me some tool that I can use in my consultancy. And when he delivered to me the very first viable product or the very first MVP or, uh, or very first version of the software, I soon realized that what I had in front of me in my position was a game changer. And I think that's the moment from which we decided to pivot the business from consultancy services to tech provider. And uh, a few months after we released to the market our beta version, we settled our first global clients. Today, Mass Analytics have, are selling their, uh, their product across 19 countries, uh, especially product in marketing mix modeling. And our vision and our mission is to democratize marketing mix modeling and marketing measurement with the vision of making it available to all brands and agencies 
regardless of their size. So this is really where I see the future of analytics. I really see that it shouldn't really be reserved to head advertisers that can afford this type of measurement. I think it's very essential that we create lighter versions of measurement that could be accessible to a smaller brand that can leverage their data, understand what's happening, and use sophisticated tools in order to be capable to make more informed decisions and move forward. Oh, exciting. You know, I, I heard you mention, you know, some, some parts of your career where, you know, some stuff didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And that, that's, that's part of, of life in one's career as well. I, w- I want to ask you about other areas of your career. I want to ask you about, you know, if you've ever faced discrimination in the years and in the, the career path that you've been down. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of those moments and how you handled them when those occurred? So I would like to say something about the way I behave and the way I am. So obviously, I come from a minority, uh, at least when you compare like my background with the, and then the British. And then, so I am in a way coming from a minority, if I may say so. But I think that I never like and I never want to play the role of the victim. And I will, I will answer your question, but I would say that for me, any time that I was facing discrimination, my first reaction was to say, what is the positive that I can get from that, that will make me stronger and that will make me better in my future? So instead of taking these instances of discrimination as, uh, why are they doing this to me? Why is it only me? Is it because of my background, of my religion, of my, the color of my face? For me, is to take that other strength and say, you know what, Ramla, things happen for a reason and you need to understand if you have faced that, it's probably to make you better. Probably one of the instances that I can remember is um, uh, one where I was facing a promotion in, in one of my previous jobs. And I felt that the criteria that were imposed on me to be promoted were completely different from the criteria that were set for other people. Mm. For me, the first instance between myself and when I was looking at myself in the mirror, I asked, why me? But then I soon say, said to myself, you know what? Don't look at it this way. Look at what are they requesting from you. Is it logical? And look at the criteria. You know what, Ramla, if you realize what they are asking you to do, regardless of whether others have done it before you or not, focus on what you want to achieve and what this can bring to your life and achieve it. Show them that you are strong, that you can do it. And then you can access to that promotion. And that's exactly what I did. I did not focus on why they did it. I focused on what was expected from me. And I did it. And you know what, Eric, when I did it, I was so proud of myself that I even now don't even remember or even think that it was a discrimination, at least in my mind. I'm not holding any branch against anyone. On the contrary, it made, it made me stronger. It made the access to that promotion, and I feel that I really deserve it, and I don't really care whether they would have applied the same thing to others or only to me. And I think one, of the, uh, one time, one of my boss, uh, I think Paul Baker told me that, Ramla, you need to focus on your career. Don't care about the career of the others. I think that was the, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had. So instead of focusing on what the others are doing, I'll be kind of channeling my energy in my career, in what I want to do in life, regardless of what's happening. Probably the other, the other instance of discrimination, not discrimination, but I say that um, judgment rather than discrimination. There was this incident in the UK back in 2007. Uh, 2007. That poor little girl, uh, she's called, I think, uh, Madeleine McCain, and she... Um, she was kidnapped, uh, unfortunately, from holiday home in Portugal. 
And obviously her father and mother put together a fund in order to kind of investigate what's happening to her, et cetera, et cetera. And lots of investigation happened and there were different avenues of uh, explaining why, why, why she was kidnapped. And I think at some point, it was in the metro of the uh, of newspaper, they mentioned that uh, the girl has been found in Morocco and somebody from Morocco seemed to have kidnapped her. And we were having a, a company Jew at the time. And one of my colleagues approached me and said to me, Naramla, have you heard the news? I said, what news? He, he told me, you know what? Some, some people from your country have kidnapped our girl. So I said to him, hold on a minute. So what country are you talking for, uh, about? Whose people? Who are your people? Who are my people? First, I'm not Moroccan, although I have no problem with being Moroccan, but I'm Tunisian. And I am as rich as you. And uh, this is still investigation. And even if somebody uh, has kidnapped that girl from Morocco, it doesn't make all the Moroccan bad people. So I think that we shouldn't really be defined by our religion, by our belonging, by uh, our race. I think that uh, this generalization shouldn't happen. But again, that's what I had to say to that person. And uh, I think that we should stand for these things and we should not let people define us based on what they think we are and generalizing uh, our backgrounds. Thank you for sharing your personal experiences with us. It's powerful. Thank you. I'm curious, you mentioned some of your mentors and great advice that you've received from them. How have you experienced being able to work with others that are coming up now in the industry? Have you been able to, to work with other folks and, and pass along some of that advice that you've received or maybe completely different advice? Yes, indeed. I think that, uh, as I mentioned, probably there are like four main, I would say, role models in my life. I mentioned two of them. So probably the first one I would start with is my father. Coming from the country I come from, from the way people think in most of the Arab countries, I think that I've been fortunate enough to have a father like mine that never put any barrier in my career, that has enabled me to do whatever I wanted to do, to travel, to study, uh, to marry when I want, to, not, to never impose anything uh, on me, to make me fail uh, or to make me uh, face my choices, face my own mistakes and, and support me whenever I want. Uh, so I really felt, and again, I keep saying this again and again. So when I went the first time to Canada and even after that to Britain, I never felt that there was something in me. I never felt that I was missing out not being born in those countries. Being, me being who I am, uh, being brought up by my father and my mother, I never felt that if I was born in the UK or in Canada, I would have had better chances. I think that when you have role models like that in your life, it really shapes the way you are. The second, I think, person that really impacted my career is, again, my professor, uh, George Zakou, who initiated me to the world of analytics, who, who pushed me outside my comfort zone and, and made me really like what I do and, and be passionate about it and excel in, in what I do. The third one is obviously Paul Baker, my mentor, and the one who, who gave me a career and who gave me my chance in the business. And the fourth one would be my partner and my husband, Firas. Without him, I think that I would have never achieved what I achieved today because he supported every single choice of my life. And I think this is a blessing. And I feel really privileged as a woman, as an Arab woman coming from that part of the world, because not all the women in the Arab countries have the support of their communities and families. And I think it's very, very important that we have 
more and more of these role models, male role models in our in our society, because that's how you can push these women to get the best out of them and to choose the destiny that they really want to pursue in life. And that's what I really do on a daily basis, empower women, show them that they shouldn't really accept a gender expectation. So you need to choose the thing that you really want. If you want to stay home, that's fine, as long as it's your, it's, it is your choice. If you want to pursue a career in business, just do it. If this is what you want to do, you can be a woman, an entrepreneur, you can work in analytics, you can be a mother, you can be a partner, and that's at the same time be successful. I think it's very important to find the equilibrium, find your comfort zone, and that's the most important thing. Whether it's at home, in business, in entrepreneurship, as a worker in a company, as long as this is your choice, I think that's the most important thing too, that I try to pass on to the women that I see around me in my family, at work, et cetera, et cetera. Fantastic. Yeah, great, great. Really, really do love that. You know, one of the questions that we always ask all of our guests, Dr. Rama, is about work-life balance in terms of, you know, managing a career and personal life. And so, Curious to know if you believe that there is such a thing as work-life balance and, and how do you manage everything that you do? I think I do believe it exists as long as you are not hard on yourself. Because hmm. if you want to be excellent wife and you want to be an excellent mother and an excellent entrepreneur, an excellent manager, you will never have that. So I think it's very important that uh, we stop guilting ourselves. Okay, So we try the best we can. We find our sources of inspiration because it's also very, very important to stop and say, what inspires me? What gives me energy? What keeps me going on a, on a daily basis? Get inspired, resource yourself, and then so you can jump and you can have enough energy to, to start your day and to finish your day. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, if I, the only advice I would say is that if you are passionate about doing sports, do sports. If you are not passionate about staying at home all the time and looking after your kids, please don't guilt yourself and say, okay, I should have stayed more with my kids or I should have stayed more with uh, at home. If you feel happy doing extra hours at work, do it. If you don't feel happy doing it, don't do it. I think it's very important that you understand what you really want and you set up your priorities based on that. For me, for example, my work is the priority. I like my work. I like my kids, but I don't really sacrifice one. So if I have to work, I have to work and I don't guilty myself not for not staying enough with my kids. When I have time, then I'll try to compensate for the time that I did not, I was not with them by spending quality time rather than quantity time. And I think that if you reach that equilibrium or that mindset where you feel that you are happy, you are a human being, you do what you can do, you cannot excel in everything. As long as you are doing the things that you like and you are making change around you, I think that is the most important thing to to reach that work-life balance. And I think, Carol, something that I would insist a lot on, it's very, very important that you have a partner with you that shares this way of thinking. Because if you have a demanding partner that wants you to do things the way he wants and he doesn't accept what you do or what you want to achieve, there is no way that you can have this work-life balance. I think that's really essential to be capable of having a partner that can understand the different like priorities that, that you want to pursue in life. Yeah, that's the, the key to being a partner, right, as well. <laughs> it is a partnership. Yeah. What, what are you reading or, or stay informed? 
so my lazy side, I have an app called Blinkist in, in, on, on my, on my phone. So that helps me like read quickly, like the, the main finding of like the, the, the most kind of known or trendy publications. I try to, to watch the news from time to time, but to be completely honest, I don't really find much time to watch television anymore or follow the news. Probably, uh, it's like just browsing some websites before I start my day. And I try to do some readings uh, about management. I like also reading thriller books that makes my, <laughs> my brain kind of switch off and, 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 and think about things that are uh, uh, different from work. And I also like a lot um, sports. This is also one of the sources that, um, that helps me think and um, strategically and uh, uh, like all the, the thinking happens when I am running or when uh, I am rowing. So these are the, the things that I like to do because they really help me put priorities in my, in my, my head and know what I want to do next, et cetera, et cetera. What's your favorite sport? Um, running uh, by far. So I, I, I started cycling recently. Uh, I bought myself a bike and I go to work with biking and I try kind of to go with my partner biking. But I still, my, my first love is for running. I like running long distances. It really empties my my mind, it really makes me reflect and think about things. Running is definitely my, my best sport. <laughs> All right. There you go. I, I like cycling. I do uh, long, long rides on my bike. Fun question for you that we love asking every guest that we have on the podcast is to give us your top three apps that you use on your phone, but you cannot name email or calendar or text messaging. Okay. Um, apart from those, so as I mentioned, I have the Blinkist uh, app. The other app that I like the, uh, a lot is the activity app, the Apple one that uh, kind of shows you how many calories have you burned and have you done enough exercises? Have you breathed uh, enough? And the third one is my guilty pleasure, which is Amazon because I love shopping. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so my husband always says, you know, Ramla, because I love like um, uh, buying things on promotion. So whenever there's promotion going, it really triggers me and it triggers me to, to buy. So Amazon app is always on my phone. And whenever I find a good, uh, a good bargain, I am the one uh, that will fix it up. <laughs> That's great. Well, Dr. Ramla, thank you for spending some time with us and sharing your personal experiences. A lot of our listeners like to stay in touch and follow you. What are some ways that our listeners can do that? So probably the best channel to connect with me is um, my LinkedIn profile. It's Ramla uh, Jarar as, as my name. Uh, so please connect with me and uh, it would be my pleasure to know you and share experiences and paths together. Thank you again, Dr. Gerard. And everyone, thank you for listening to another episode with us. Listeners, you can find us where you find all of your audio and video and just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thank you. <laughs>